Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. It's great to see you in the house of God this morning. I want to, um, I want to start talking this morning about something that doesn't really, it's not like this is section one and section two. Really, I, I've got a message that I want to bring to you, which if we were just to stand here and talk, we might be going for like two hours or three hours. So I'm going to try and break it up over the next few weeks. But really, I want to start, and if you want a subject to, or something to hold on to, it would be this. I want us to try to receive an understanding of what God has been doing, of what he is about so that we can then stand up, so that we can understand, so that we can then stand ourselves, and that we can fight the good fight of our faith. Because I think unless we have a picture, unless we can see what is actually going on, unless we can see what is happening around us, and what is happening in the world, the things that God has done, then we're not going to be able to understand. When we don't understand really what our Christian lives are about, or what our purpose is, or how we fit in, or even simple, practical things of like, why do we pray? Why do we read the Word of God? What is the purpose of those things? If we don't have the big picture, we can't understand why we're engaging in activities. And then we get to a place where we just say, well, we know we ought to do these things. But we don't know how the power and the authority that they have in our lives. We don't know the purpose that they have in our lives. We don't know the reason that they have for us to connect with God and for us to be empowered with the presence of God so that we as God's people may accomplish the purpose for which we were created. Because it is true to say that none of us is here on earth or in this time zone or in this place even this morning by accident. We are here by the design of God. He who has decreed and purposed the things in heaven that shall come to place on earth. That is what we're caught up in his purposes. And we want to fulfill those purposes to the fullest extent that we might not only enjoy life and have understanding, but that we may be strengthened through him and bring glory to him. And if you like, the first point that I want to to bring up, or the first aspect of the big picture that I want to look at this morning is that of understanding darkness. Understanding darkness. Now, we might say, well, why do we need to understand darkness? And throughout this morning, I'm going to be reading from lots of different sections of the Bible. So if you're taking notes or whatever, perhaps just take down Bible passages. If you're quick enough, you can turn to some of them, but you don't have to because I'll read them to you. Understanding darkness. Why do we need to understand darkness? Well, in Ephesians 6, verse 12, it says this, For our struggle... Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle, the wrestle that we have, the battle that is against us in our life, is that we are fighting not against human beings, not against our brothers and sisters or our work colleagues, although sometimes we have battles with them, but what we are fighting against is the forces of darkness, the powers of this age that are operating in the world, around us, and through the people that are around us. 
That is the struggle that we have. Now, unless we understand about darkness, unless we understand what we're up against, we're not going to have the impetus to stand and fight. We're not going to have the ability to hold our ground. We are not going to be able to take the ground that we need to take as the people of God. Because people, we are in war. We're not just thinking about war. We're not just having the prospect of one day there might be war. The declaration is the people of God are at war against the kingdom of darkness. That is already happening. And our, most of us, I would say, are rather reluctant fighters. Or do I have to? Is this really what it's about? Oh, you know, I just want to go to church and sing a few nice songs and stuff like that. No, we are at war. And we have a commanding officer who is the leader of heaven's armies. And he has called us up into his ranks that we may fight in these last days for his purposes. So there is a battle that we're about and there's an understanding that we need to have about darkness. Now to gain an understanding about darkness, we need to have a whole sweep across uh, the early part of scriptures themselves. In the beginning of the Bible, in fact Genesis 1 verse 1 it says this, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if you just go through the first few words, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning was God. Our God has no beginning and no end. He is the eternal God. He always was, he always is, he always shall be. He is infinitely greater than we are. He is beyond our understanding. He is the God through whom the heavens and the earth have been created. In the beginning was the Word, and it was through the Word of God that things were created. Out of nothing, things have been made. In Hebrews 11, verse 3, it says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what, is vis of, out of what was visible. The creation that God made, because if you read in the beginning of Genesis, he goes through the days and the things that he created and the order of events of which God created the heavens and the earth. After he is creating, he keeps saying, God sort of looked back and said, wow, this is good. This is good. God was happy with the things that he has made. He was very satisfied with them. After he had made Adam and Eve... So after he had created human beings, God saw all that he had made and he declared, it is very good. Man was the pinnacle of his creation. God was glorified. God was being worshipped. God had connectivity with man. Man was made by God and for God. In fact, all things have been made by God and for God. But man was made to rule over the earth. He was given authority over the animals and the birds. And man's job was not to go around with a stick trying to beat every animal into submission, but to enable creation to come to the fullness of what creation had been made for. It was to bring forth from the earth the glory of God. It was to display the wonder of all the creation. Mankind was designed to be sort of one who was going around shepherding, bringing forth the very best from creation. That's what man was created for. And we see those first two chapters and we're seeing that God is declaring that this is good and we're seeing the connectivity that God had. God is the one who is the source of all wisdom, revelation, knowledge, understanding. God knows how everything works. God knows how light is formed. God knows where the, the weather systems are coming from. He knows 
everything. In him is the source of all knowledge. And man received the breath of God into him. That was different from any other living creation. God didn't go around breathing into the animals, but he did breathe his life into man. And man became a living being. There's something inside of us. We have been created in the image and glory of God. And the life of God has come into us. God created us to have connectivity with him. Man was connected to God. So God could make his statements, make his thoughts, make his will, make his purpose known, and man would understand it in his being and be able to respond. Hence, when we see that God said to man, I want you to name the animals, man came up with the right answers because he was connected with God. Because God was able to say, this animal is a giraffe. Yesterday we went down as a family just to the uh, Port Lim Zoo and saw the animals, freezing cold. But when you see animals like the giraffes, absolutely amazing creatures. And I thought to myself, I thought, God is amazing. God is amazing. When you see the zebra, you think, this is crazy. Who came up with that idea? Some super striped horse. (laughs) You look at it and you are in amazement. And you see the animals and things that we don't usually see. And you think, well, rhino? I would never have. What's all this? Two horns? You know, big, fat? Why? Why question why? What is the glory of this creature? He has created all of those things. But man was able to give them their right name because he was connected with God. And everything was good. Man was in the Garden of Eden. And it was glorious. There was abundant fruit. There were trees, there were animals, there were plants. Man had a function in life. He had a work to do. He enjoyed it. There were no thorns and thistles. Things came up just by dropping the seeds in. He didn't overwater it at the plants and they all limply went and died on him. Everything was good. You know what it's like at home when you water the plants that you're trying to look after for somebody else? And things go disastrously wrong. That wasn't happening in the Garden of Eden. Everything was good. Man had this wonderful dependency upon God. Man had this connectivity with God. Man was at the fullness of who he was because he knew his God. God said to Adam, all of this is yours. Enjoy it. Till the soil. Help everything come to its fullness. Ah, look. There's this tree. Do not eat of the fruit of that tree. Because if you do, you will die. But apart from that, hey, whatever you want. But we know Genesis 1, Genesis 2, talking about creation. Genesis 3 talks about separation. Genesis 3 is when you have the story of Eve and the serpent and how the serpent says to her, did God say? Did God really say? You shouldn't eat of anything? Hey, listen. What God means is, if you eat of that, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You won't die. So the serpent is sowing words to her. (coughs) And suddenly this tree 
that had not only been off limits, but the understanding of this tree was that if I eat of it, I'm going to die. So it was like a tree of poison. It was something that you wouldn't go near. I have no interest in that. That's going to kill me. Suddenly, that which was going to kill her or them became attractive. And Eve, when she heard the information, when she began to think, hang on a second, I could become like God, knowing good and evil. I'm not going to die. That's what I'm being told. God's been deceiving me. God's not telling me the truth. You can see the sinister words that are being sown into her life. And so that when she takes the fruit and saw that it is good to eat, and what it could do for her, the eating of it was going to give her something that she didn't already have. She took it and ate it and gave some to Adam and he ate it. Separation. The next thing we know is that the covering that they had over them, the glory of God that was surrounding them, that caused them not to notice the fact that they weren't wearing clothes. Suddenly, whoa, we're naked. We must cover ourselves. And the next thing that we see is that God is coming, as always, to come and meet, to come and commune with his creation, to come and talk with mankind, face-to-face communication. He's coming to meet him. But Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam and Eve hid themselves because they were ashamed. God asked them, what's been going on? Have you eaten from the fruit? Yes, they had. Sin had come into the world. This is the point now, the Bible now goes from the glory of creation into the story of what is happening about the breakthrough of darkness into the world. I find it amazing that when you get to Genesis, there you are reading about creation. Suddenly, chapter 3, you're reading about the fall of man. Chapter 4, you're now reading about the children of Adam and Eve, and you've got the whole story of Cain and Abel, and suddenly you find that there is murder happening, and it's only just at the beginning of the book. And then by the time you get through to chapter 6, when you're talking about the flood, it says, when men began to increase in number on the earth... In fact, that's not the bit I want to read. It says, the Lord saw, verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Within the space of a relatively short number of years, we've gone from the point of view of absolute beauty and without sin to utter corruption like that. It says that God has been grieved. It says the Lord was grieved that he had made man. Think of the pain in the heart of God. Shortly before you have been reading and God had created man and he said this is very good. And now a few chapters later you're reading this. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Darkness does this. Darkness brings separation between man and God. Darkness causes pain in the heart of God. And it causes the inclination of man's heart to be only thoughts of evil all the time. That is what darkness does. It disrupts. It breaks. In Romans 5 verse 12 it says, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death 
came to all men because all sin. The problem with sin is that it infected the whole of mankind. And whereas we had only one person actually taking the apple to start off with, we find shortly that the whole of the human race has been disrupted and that sin has infected the whole human race. Sin, and by sin I mean the things that God does not want us to do, but that we are doing. The things that are anti-God, the things that are against his commands, the things that are against his heart, his will, his desires. Those things, the things that we do, really often without even thinking, sin brings death to all men. And that isn't only that, and we do know that man, all of us are going to die. That's only one certainty that we have, that we are facing death. Not that we want to hold on to that too much, because it does sound quite morbid. But it's true to say that we're all going to physically die, but we're not just talking about that. Sin separates us from God. There is a spiritual death, not just a physical death. The spiritual death is immediate. The physical death comes after some time. So what we saw in the garden, when the serpent had said to Eve, you will surely not die. And she takes the fruit and, whoa, no, I didn't die. I'm still alive. Yes, but inside spiritually, like that, death had come to your spirit. From that point, there was a disconnection from the wisdom of God. Man had become separate. Man had become distanced from his God. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul describes this situation of people, because he says, as for you, talking to the Ephesian Christians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You were without hope and without God in the world. So you see, the results of sin as it comes into our society, as it comes upon all of humanity, is this, that there is a separation from God. We become dead in our sins. We're not alive to God, that is, we're not connected to God, but we are distanced from God. We are separated from God. We are cut off from God and the knowledge of Him. And our ways are now being dictated to by the powers of darkness that are ruling over the kingdoms of this earth. That is the situation that we find ourselves in today. Let's just ask another question at this point. Why? Why did Jesus Christ come? He had to come because he had a mission. And his mission succinctly was to break this separation to do something about that which had destroyed the connectivity between man and God. That is why he came. In Colossians 1, uh, sorry, in Colossians 2:13, we read of this situation. It gives a summary of the situation that we are in. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations 
that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That, if you like, is a brief summary of what Jesus did, of how, what he did when he came. But he came with an attitude towards us. He came with an attitude of love. Because as we know, in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. He came because his heart was burdened for wanting to redeem, for wanting to get this separation back, to, to break that separation so that it could be connected again. The reason that Jesus came was to destroy the working of darkness, to destroy the working of the devil. In 1 John 3.8 it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the enemy. In Luke 19 it says that he came to rescue. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And again, a, 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 if you like, a summary is, is what we've read in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See, the reason that Jesus came to this earth was to destroy the powers of darkness that actually disrupted and caused our separation from God. Now, we just need to hold these things in. All of these things over time will come in, and we will see how they all fit together. But I'm just informing us. What did Jesus accomplish? Now listen to this. Colossians 1 verse 13 tells us what he accomplished. For he rescued us. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. What has Jesus accomplished by coming to the earth? He's accomplished this. He has rescued us. He has taken us out of the dominion, the power, the authority, the controlling influence of the dark powers, those dark satanic powers that broke in on that first bite of the apple, that separation that came, that point of earth, where in, in earth's history, where evil came into that land. He came to destroy those powers. He has delivered us, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Now these words are not to be taken lightly because it gives you an understanding of what authority and what power there is that is over us. It is a dominion. It is an overriding power that is hovering over the nations of the world. That is what the darkness is. And Jesus came to deliver us and has taken us out of that and has brought us into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, that is a statement of what God has done for us through Jesus. That is what has been accomplished. But it hasn't actually prevented the powers of darkness still being around us. 
and influencing us. Do you understand that? You see, we are saved, but the powers of darkness have not been broken. The church has been appointed through the power of Jesus Christ to tear those authorities down and to display the kingdom of God to all around us. That is what the church is here for. That is what we are here for. That is why we are at war, because we are at war against those powers. Who do we wrestle against? Do we wrestle against flesh and blood? No, no, no. Our fight, our battle, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities. We are at war. Okay. Now let's go back to this darkness. We talked about the fact that the darkness came in when Eve actually ate of that fruit and gave it to Adam. That's when sin came in. But hang on a second. That was the serpent. What was going on? Where did the darkness come from? Because surely we see in the beginning there was God and God created everything and it was good. So what happened? Where did this darkness come from? Well, there are two passages in two of the books of the prophets in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28, where in these passages you get an insight into the workings of heaven and what actually happened in heaven. Because Satan, called Lucifer, in fact he's called a number of different names through scripture, but he was created as an angel of light. Let me just read to you a little bit of what it says in Ezekiel 28, starting at verse 11. Actually, a little bit more than that. It says, uh, and this is talking about Lucifer, talking about Satan. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. This is who he was created to be. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz and emerald, chrysolite, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountains were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned, so I drove you from the mount of God. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. You see, God did create all things good. God created the angels just as he has created us, not to be puppets, but to have their own being. And here is Satan, Lucifer, an angel of light, beautiful. He was glorious, full of wisdom, a model of perfection, perfect in beauty. But his heart became proud. Basically, he desired to take over the throne of God. I want that. He wasn't contented with the place of his creation. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be above God. 
In Isaiah, in the chapter in Isaiah 14, it says this, You have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. You can see the intent that came upon Satan's heart. And when he got to this place of pride and it entered his heart, God had no choice. There can be no sin in heaven. He was cast out of heaven. He was cast out. This is the foundation of wickedness. This is the foundation of evil. He came to earth and what did he start to do? He started to corrupt others. He started to destroy the work of God. Satan is against the purposes of God. And he now wants to continue to fight against the purposes of God. And he does that, regretfully, fairly successfully. But the good news is that God has overcome. Now on that day of this evil arising and Satan being thrown out of heaven, it was at that moment in time that God declares there is going to be a day called the day of the Lord when Satan and all of those angels that have followed him, because it is believed the third of the angelic host came up behind Satan and were influenced by him and they were cast out of heaven too. But it's on that day that God decided there will be a day which I am calling the day of the Lord when punishment shall be met for all of that has happened. And this sin shall, be, shall receive its just deserts. That's why in Matthew 25 it says this, when he's talking about the story of Jesus talking with his disciples about the sheep and the goats, and he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, there's been a preparation the lake of fire, which is what it's talking about, about the end of times when Christ shall return and the day of the Lord shall come. And not only a day of terror, but a day of glory. A day of terror and destruction because all evil will be dealt with. And that's when the enemy himself will be cast into the lake of fire. But also a day of great glory because the triumphant power and the glory of God shall be displayed. The old heaven and the old earth will be wrapped up and moved away and a new heaven and a new earth shall become into being and God shall reign with his people, having dealt with the powers of darkness. But you see, this is when that day was decided. And the reason I wanted to paint this picture is that we start to see where these things are coming in history. What is going on? So it's right at the beginning of time. Well, yes, beginning of time. Right at the beginning, when Satan had fallen from heaven, when he had rebelled against the things of God, that God himself said, there is going to be a day when I am going to execute judgment upon the angels and Satan himself that have sinned against me. I will deal with him. He will be cast into the lake of fire that I am preparing for him and his angels. Now the sad thing is that the enemy, Satan, has taken it upon himself to take to that place as many of the human race as he can possibly take. That is the sad thing. 
So that which was prepared for the devil and the angels is also going to be a place where human beings are being taken to because they have broken the way of God, because they have sinned before God, and because they need to find salvation. So we have a slight understanding of how darkness came to being. We have an understanding a little bit of its nature. In John 8, let me just read this to you quickly. John 8, we get an insight into Satan himself. Jesus talking again to his disciples. Says this of Satan. John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is the character, the nature of darkness. It doesn't tell the truth. It brings deception. It lies. It deceives. That's the character. But not only its character, let's just look at its power. If we were to go back now to Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel, we get a real insight into the character and power of darkness. And there in the story we see, it says that Adam lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain bought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel bought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Then the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. We know this story, I think, fairly well. You've got the two brothers, and they, through communion with God, have been instructed to bring a sacrifice. They both know what type of sacrifice they need to bring. It needs to be a blood sacrifice. One brings the animal, brings a blood sacrifice, and everything is good. That, that is acceptable. But the other, Cain, he doesn't. He is the guy who works in the field. So what he actually wants to do is, look, this is my best. I'm proud of this. This is what I'm involved with. This, surely this is good enough for you, God. When God is saying, no, no, this is what I need. I need to have a blood sacrifice. Okay, your brother has bought a blood sacrifice. This is what it takes. This is my standard, okay? Cain, I'm not saying that your offering isn't good. It doesn't look good, but it is not what is required. Those crops are wonderful, but it's not what is required. Now listen, let me say something to you, Cain. If you do what is right... If you come up and meet the requirement that I am placing before you, everything's going to be fine. But you need to know that as I am laying up my requirement, there is a power at work. 
Sin is crouching at your door. Listen to the language. It's crouching. Even that is sinister, because you know when someone's crouching, they're waiting to leap. They're just tucked down, slightly hidden out the way. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It desires to have you. Now, if you look in the King James, reading the scripture, it says, if, and it sounds old-fashioned language, but you'll see where I'm going to quote it to you. If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In the King James, you start to get this portrayal that sin isn't just a force, it's a character, it's a person. It has a personality. Sin has come, and it wants to get hold of you. Sorry. <laughs> it wants to grasp you. <coughs> so, folks, we need to wake up to the power of darkness. Not that we have to be afraid of it, but you know what? If you're going to fight, and you don't know what you're fighting against, you're not going to be bothered. And as we shall see in a minute, because we've still got a few minutes, we want to see a little bit of the character of what this darkness does to us and why we need to wake up. Because you see, this darkness is the same as being arrayed against Cain. This darkness is being arrayed against us. This darkness is covering at our door. This sin desires us. It is crouching at our door and it's desiring to take hold of us. Oh, but I'm a Christian don't you know? Well, that's great because you have power in the name of Jesus, but unless you know how to use that power, unless you're going to use the sword of the Spirit against the enemy and cut and thrust into him so that he gets injured and hurt and runs away, that sin is desiring to take hold of you. This power of sin is what produces sin in us. This power of sin is when you were sitting quietly. You didn't really have any thoughts, but suddenly you get annoyed about somebody. You remember that thing about the person in the office, and you start thinking, like, blow them. Why should they do that? I don't like them. I hate them. And you may not even have said these words, but you're thinking them in your head, because this is sin starting to try to get hold of you, because sin knows that if it can get hold of you and start to change your way of thinking, it is starting to have power over you. And sin, when we give ourselves to sin, it is like we become slaves to it. Because when we sin, we become a slave to the one whom we obey. And you see, when we sin, we are becoming obedient servants of the powers of darkness. When we are supposed to be the children of light. And when this happens, you start to see the people of God no longer displaying the attributes of God, but displaying the fruit of the kingdom of darkness. This is why we need to understand. Because we have been taken from the dominion of darkness by the power of Jesus Christ. He is the one who has overcome every force of darkness so that through him we also may be more than conquerors. And that we, through the power of Jesus, can start to show the authority of the cross in the land. Darkness is a force. It is a power. It has authority. Listen to what Paul wrote 
in Romans 7. With this in mind, you get the same understanding. Paul writes this in Romans 7, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable man I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, praise God, it goes on to say, Jesus Christ will deliver us. But can you see there the understanding? This is what we are dealing with. It is the power of sin and its effect upon our lives. This is what darkness does. Now, let me just put this to you. The results of darkness. What are the results of being under this darkness? What does this darkness do to us? How does it affect our lives? hardens us. It hardens our hearts. Hebrews 3.13. It says, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin deceives us. The powers of darkness deceive us. They make us think something that isn't true. We start believing lies. We start living in lies. We start coming under its influence and it starts to harden our hearts such that we're no longer really bothered about that. Let's take a look at the film industry. A number of years ago, you used to have the 18 certificate, which meant that that could be violence, there could be sexual content in those films, 18 used to have that, you know, that's for adults only. Now, what was an 18 certificate 20 years ago, we all know has moved back. It's probably more like a 15 certificate. We know that there has been a change. We know that. How come we're not fighting against it? How come we're saying, hey, this isn't good? This is corrupting the lives of our young people. What is, the, what is going on here? How come we're not making a song and a dance about it? Because we are being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And there are many things in our society. That's just one example. There are many laws that are being changed. We know some of the laws that are being uh, brought into the nation now to say that it is perfectly acceptable for same-sex couples. Well, we're going to get to the place where they should be able to marry, legally marry. We're not quite there yet, but you know we're on the cusp of that. And what has happened to bring us to that point, is that right? Is that actually what the Bible says is right? Is that the created order of things? No! But you know what? It's now just becoming part of society. What is happening? I tell you what is happening. Darkness is having an influence over the nation so that the hearts of men and women are becoming hardened. Oh, we're accepting it. That's okay. We are being deceived by sin's deceitfulness. And our hearts are becoming hardened to it. So we're no longer really reacting. Oh, it's one of those things. Yeah, I know it's bad, but, you know, where's the motivation for change? Why has the lethargy come upon us? Not lethargy. We didn't. You see, when you stop and you look at what's been going on, You start to take blocks of time and you start to see the change. Not change for the better, unfortunately, but change for the worse that has been happening. Then you start to realize, hey, hang on a second. 
What's going on here? We need to be awakened. We need to be transformed. The results of darkness is that it brings a hardness to our hearts. One of the other results of darkness is that it brings blindness to us. Not that we suddenly can't see. Not that sort of darkness. Not that sort of blindness. Not a blindness of the physical, but a blindness of the spiritual. We become unaware of the truth and the reality of God. Is there spiritual darkness in our age now? Oh, yes. How many people in your office, if you would go to them and say, did you know that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe? He is the one who is from always unto always. He's the one that's made us. Is everybody going to say like, yes, I know that. That's a fantastic fact and truth of life. No. Because in our schools, they do not teach that the earth was created. They teach, that, uh, they teach that Darwinism and things like that, that's how it came to pass. They're not teaching the truth. They're teaching lies. And we are being deceived because there is a growing spiritual darkness. Why? Because the enemy is wanting to take as many souls to hell with him. And he's seeking to do it before his time runs out. When is his time going to run out? on the day of the Lord. Because the day of the Lord is what? The day of the Lord is the day that God has appointed when he is going to deal with all the evil of the enemy. When he was first thrown out of heaven and everything that's happened between now and then, that is the day it's going to be dealt with. But before that day, Satan is having a heyday. He's doing all that he can to gather people into darkness, to gather people into spiritual blindness, to harden their hearts. Listen to what it says in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So why do the people in your schools, in your offices, in your universities, the people that you are working with, the people that you're associating with, why is it that they're having a tough time in accepting your testimony that Jesus is alive? Because the work of darkness (coughs) is against them. That's why. Have you noticed darkness around you? Have you noticed things going wrong in people's lives? The work of oppression that the enemy brings? Yes, of course we have. The reason the church is here is to display the glory of God. The reason the church is here is to break these powers of darkness. We have a job on our hands that we need to rise up to and take hold of. Okay, let me just finish with this little bit here. The effect of darkness upon us. Why should we be concerned? Well, obviously we should be concerned about the fact that there is this darkness. Obviously, we should be concerned because there is a hardness that comes upon people's hearts. Obviously, we should be concerned because there is a spiritual blindness that comes to people. But why else? Is there anything else that it's doing to us? Surely, it's not doing anything to us, is it? Well, this is when we come back to scriptures and we start to see what God is saying to us and what our reaction to it is. Let's just examine that just for a second to see whether it will be true to say whether darkness has had any effect, not upon the people outside now, I'm talking about on us. Has this darkness had any effect 
upon us here today. Well, let's just see what God asks us to do. He says that we should love him with all of our hearts, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Has darkness influenced us in that? Are we concerned about how much we love him? Are we concerned about whether we are loving our neighbor? And that's not the ones we like. That's a completely indiscriminate. Any other person, any other person, has it had an effect upon us? I believe it has. The effect that darkness has upon us is that it brings a numbness and an apathy to our hearts towards God. And what's more, it seems to grow within us an attitude that says this. Oh, well, I can't really, yeah, I suppose so. I can't really be bothered, though. I can't be bothered. I'm aware that I can't really be bothered to make a change. That's what it does to us. Jesus says, Matthew 24, he says, so also, you must be ready. Jesus was talking to his disciples about this return of his, about him coming back, and he says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man is going to come back at an hour when you don't expect him. He's going to come back at an hour when you don't expect him. Because you don't know when he's coming back, you need to be prepared and ready for his return. Let's really ask ourselves a question this morning. What's our response to this? I know what my response is. Because deep in my heart, there is the working of darkness. Because in my heart, am I really bothered about that? Come on, let's be real about this. We're not really bothered. Yeah, yeah, I know it says that. I know it says that. But, well, I mean, it's going to be a long way off, isn't it? Is it? Is that what Jesus tells us? Listen, when you start to examine what the Scriptures are saying to us and our response to them, you start to notice there is a divide which is filled with apathy. There's a divide that is filled with numbness. There's a divide that is filled with a not-bothered attitude. Well, yes, Jesus is coming back, but, well, I'm going to be all right. Jesus said, listen, you need to be ready for my return. You need to be watching and waiting because you don't know when it's going to come. We find ourselves numb to these things. You know, in Psalms 36, it says this, an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. I find that that is more talking of me than anybody else. Look, we flatter ourselves too much Is there flattery going on when we say, hey, I'm going to be all right? Jesus has overcome. Yes, he has overcome. But I need to be living in him and having his power living through me so that I also may be an overcomer. Otherwise, what I am is become I become a servant to the powers of darkness. I come under their influence and I start to obey their command. The outworking of my life no longer becomes the fruit of righteousness, but the outworking of my life 
becomes the fruit of lies and deception and untruth and wrong thinking, which is not what we want. Finally, let me just point you to this. The passion for the salvation of the lost is not amongst us as it should be. Therefore, the very commission that we have been commissioned with, that we have been given, we are putting to one side and leaving unaccomplished. This is another result of the work of darkness amongst us. When Jesus is saying to us, and we need to receive this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Go! Come on! Let's go! Let's get out there. The old command is this. Get up and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Now, we'll do that next week. Now, let's just get on with our own little group here. This is very important. I'm going to do some Bible reading by myself at home. I know these things aren't bad, but hang on a second. Where is this commission being fulfilled? Where is the passion? I don't have to look at you. I have to look at myself. Where is the desire that above all else, I am going to rescue the souls from hell itself, and I'm going to plunder hell that heaven might be populated? Where is the passion within me? When I start to see that I know the truth, but the passion, the desire, the motivation is being locked away, then I know the darkness is beginning to cover, is beginning to close. Now in truth, the whole picture of this darkness, I'll just leave you with this. Isaiah, there's a scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah 25 verse 7 where it talks about this, it talks about, on this mountain it says he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. And the picture that is being given by the prophet Isaiah is that of the world, our world, in which we live. But over that world, around that world, totally encapsulating that world, there is a covering, if you like, a sheet of darkness where the principalities and the rulers of the dark places are having their array, are having their influence over us. They're around and about us. That is the situation that we are in. Now, rather than just leave you directly at this point where you're feeling the weight, oh my, the weight of this darkness. And as I did say to you at the beginning, we haven't the time now because there's a lot more that we need to explore to take us on from this place. But unless we understand what is arrayed against us, unless we understand what we are dealing with, we are not going to be able to receive the tools that God has given to us that by them we may overcome. Let's just remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. He has made a public spectacle of every force of darkness, triumphing over it by the cross. 
He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us in to the kingdom of the Son that he loves. He is the one that we need. Jesus is our Savior. He has come to save us from our sin. He is our Redeemer. He has come to buy us back from every power, every authority, everything that had a hold on us. He has come to take us out of that so that we might be the people of God that he has called us to be. But unless we're walking in the fullness of the power of what God has for us, we're not going to be overcomers. But he has called us. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you feel lost? Now some of you in this room, this isn't the lostness just of the fact that, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I feel a bit, whoa, I do feel a bit, I feel, a, I feel the oppression of this stuff. There's reality in what you're talking about here. I feel a bit lost with that. Well, take heart because Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He has come to bring us through so that we may be more than conquerors. He has come to display his kingdom in this place so that people will say, wow, look at Bromley Town Church. No, but people might say, wow, look at the glory of God in this place. Look at the name of Jesus. Here's a people that know their God. For the people who know their God shall do great exploits. That's what the word says. So sometimes we can feel there's a lostness. I need to be found. But there is another lostness. You might be in that place where you are lost completely in your trespasses and sins. Where you know that you've done wrong but you've never understood that there are arrayed against you powers of darkness. You never understood completely that Jesus, and only Jesus Christ, God's Son, came from heaven, the glory of heaven, came to earth to rescue you from your sin, to save you, to set you free, to enable you also to arise to become a mighty warrior of God. The Bible says that if we put our faith in him, he will see that we are saved. Maybe this morning, there are some here who have never taken that step of putting their lives in the life of Jesus Christ, putting their hand in his hand, of saying, I've had enough of running my life. I need to walk with Jesus because he alone can save me. Listen, there is a work that God needs to do amongst us. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. I just want you to think. Have you been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Have you been deceived? Have you come under spiritual blindness? Have you become numbed to the promises and to the truth of what God is asking us to do? Have we become those that are, are kicking our heels because we don't quite know what to do? We need to say, God, please awaken my soul. Please bring me through. Please take me all the way. We need to pray earnestly that God would revive our hearts in him so that we may arise to be the army he has called us to be. But also this morning, 
It may be that you are here and that you have never given your life to Jesus Christ that you might be saved. Now, if you've never given your life to him and this morning the Holy Spirit is pressing on you and is saying, I need to make a response. I need to give my life. I need to get right with God so that I can arise into his army. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand. If for the first time you're saying, I want to put my trust in Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand so that I can see it this morning. We want to give you this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Is there anybody else? When we give our lives to him, he comes in to us. And he makes his home inside of us and empowers us to live a new life for him. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray, oh God, for those that are responding in their hearts. Lord, that you would bring transformation to them. Father, you know the power that darkness can have over us because you sent your Son your one and only Son, to come and rescue us. Father, I thank you that you have overcome through Jesus every force of the enemy. I thank you that you are a mighty Savior. I thank you that you are an awesome deliverer. Lord, will you empower each one of us to arise before you and to fulfill the purpose that you have for our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Perhaps over this next week, you might go back over some of those scriptures or even just pick up your Bibles and start reading in Genesis and you can see the story that we're talking about. Familiarize yourself with it because we're going to be uh, briefly going over some of these things again next week and pressing on into more that God is going to show us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.